one. Hello and welcome to Mates Rate and Review. This edition is going to be a little different as sadly my dear friend and colleague Dan Kayser is no longer with us. He left us about seven minutes ago to go and eat. I hope that one day I can reunite with Dan and see his furry yet cherubic grin. This will probably happen on Tuesday. But for now, it looks like, as with every adult Lego fan whose wife has returned home to yet another box emblazoned with the words 4,000 pieces and 18 plus, I'll be doing everything, and I mean everything, solo. So today I'm going to be reviewing Christopher Nolan's epic film Oppenheimer. I've got to say that the hype for this film didn't help with my desire to see the film. I'm not a big fan of biopics at the best of times. I find that on the whole they're not as factual as they claim to be. Events are either shown out of order, as in not in the real times in the lives of the people that they are portraying, out of context, and sometimes out of the imagination of the writer, director and producer. When they are broadly factual, it can often feel like a history lesson, mixed in with some exaggerated character traits that have been teased out to imbue the character with an interesting personality or backstory that may or may not have been there completely in reality. I'm happy to say that was not my impression here. So I will keep my review broadly spoiler-free, but if you want to go in with absolutely no knowledge of the film, stop listening after the next paragraph and know that my single paragraph review is as follows. Go and see this film, go and see it in the cinema on the best screen with the best sound system you can. The film is beautiful and complex. It starts out giving the impression that the film will be structured in a confusing manner. It's not always told in a linear manner where events lead from A to B to C, but I found that despite my initial concerns, I kept up with the pace and where the story was leading me. I suspect that having seen this film, I will not want to see it again for some time. Its runtime is around the three hour mark, and there weren't nearly enough flying people or spaceships to put it on my concrete repeat view list, but in a word, excellent. That being said, having watched it once, I now find myself feeling that I would pick up more details on a second viewing. Chris Nolan, you cheeky rascal, I may actually go and watch it again. Now, a few spoilers will creep in, so if you don't want to go in with any of the following details stop listening now we are in spoiler town it's not going to be heavily spoiler town but there's going to be a few things in there so here we go now Christopher Nolan enjoys time and enjoys playing with time and non-linear filmmaking. In fact, I think the list of his films told in a non-linear and sometimes purposefully confusing manner is probably longer than his list told in a sequential manner. Interstellar, Memento, Batman Begins, Dunkirk, Inception, Tenet, all play with time in some form or other. It wasn't until quite a way into Dunkirk that I understood that the film was being told in three separate time frames. It had those three slates at the beginning of the film. The mole, one week. The sea, one day. The air, one hour. With these three stories being interweaved together to meet at that single point in time. In Oppenheimer, Mr Nolan employs another technique of his own creation, or at least I've never seen it used like this before, to differentiate between different elements of the story. He starts the film with a text description of the gift of fire to humanity by Prometheus the Titan. In our story, perhaps Nolan is suggesting Oppenheimer is a modern-day, non-mythical Prometheus, stealing the knowledge of nuclear fire. He then starts the film with two slates over two scenes. The first is Oppenheimer and is labelled number one, Fission, and it's in colour. 
The second is of Admiral Strauss, played excellently by Robert Downey Jr., preparing for a hearing, and it's in black and white. In fact, in IMAX, uh, who had never shot their famously extremely high-resolution cameras using black and white film and had to create black and white film stock for this film. Throughout the film, we then cut between colour and black and white scenes, and it's not immediately obvious what the different styles represent. Traditionally, we are used to seeing black and white footage interspersed in a film to represent historical or documentary stylized footage. However, in this film, the black and white footage jumps around in time as much as the colour does, so to suggest that it was historical cannot be accurate. Nolan plays it perfectly to keep the true purpose murky until towards the end of the film when it all becomes clear. We are seeing the film, or at least certain events in the film, from two different perspectives. The colour perspective is that of Robert Oppenheimer, and the black and white perspective is that of Admiral Strauss. He makes it very clear how you're supposed to pronounce his name. It's not Strauss, it's Strauss. At least I think that's what he said. Using this device, Nolan cleverly allows us to see conversations from two different perspectives where two people are able to hear different things due to their vantage point. It is masterfully done and, as such, is able to create an almost murder mystery reveal from the order in which these viewpoints are shown. I doff my hat to you, Mr. Nolan. In terms of the plot of the film, it is sufficient to say that it revolves primarily around the creation of the first atomic bomb that would ultimately be dropped on the Japanese cities of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Oppenheimer is portrayed brilliantly by Killian Murphy as a complicated man with many facets and motivations. He's neither black nor white, but living in the shades of grey, as if we sit and cast a critical eye over our own lives, we will find that we all fall into this shaded area. And most of us don't have the responsibility to save humanity by creating a weapon of mass destruction. Florence Pugh and Emily Blunt are the love interest in his life, with the former playing the object of his early affections when he dabbled in communism, and the latter his incredibly supportive and complex wife, portrayed as suffering from postnatal depression and later as a force to be reckoned with. Set across the mid-1930s to the mid-1950s, anti-communism governmental activity and McCarthyisms are central themes that run through this film. As I mentioned previously, each of the characters throughout the film, be it his young affaire de coeur or an associate professor of theoretical physics portrayed sublimely by Josh Hartnett, are well-rounded, thought-out portrayals of these real people uh, with a truth about their motivations. Robert Downey Jr. is compelling, convincing and brilliant in his portrayal of the character at the centre of the black and white portions of the film, explaining to Alden Ehrenreich that for the purposes of this hearing they do not need to meet the burden of proof. It's not a trial. Only to be reminded this later at a crucial moment. On top of those already mentioned, there is a list of A-list actors as long as your arm in this film, and they are all on the top of their game. Jason Clarke, Kenneth Branagh, David Krumholtz, Matthew Modine, Matt Damon, Jack Quaid, Rami Malek, Casey Affleck, Gary Oldman, David Dismalchin, who seems to be the character actor of choice in almost every film since his first cinematic credit as the cop henchman of the Joker interrogated by Harvey Dent in The Dark Knight. That's just to mention a few. They all turn in award-winning performances, though sadly for them the gongs will aim a little higher up the credits list. Though let's not leave out the wonderful Tom Conti as Albert Einstein, whose small role in the film has such a large impact. As a science fiction fan, I'm also a fan of real science, and I found that aspect of the film fascinating. It neither dumbed down nor asked too much of me, and I followed along with relative ease and much enjoyed these theories of time, space, gravity and quantum physics being portrayed to the masses on the big screen. 
The name of the test detonation of the first nuclear weapon was Trinity, and it's fitting that in this three-hour epic, Christopher Nolan is telling a trinity of stories. Oppenheimer's life, up to and including the Manhattan Project, a kangaroo court later in his life when he's seemingly being persecuted for communist associations from his past, and the story of Admiral Strauss. Nolan expertly weaves together a compelling story that respects its subject matter, a moment in history, and also the intelligence of its audience, and I could not recommend it more highly. So now I'm going to leave it there, and I'm going to hand you over to Dan for his review. Thanks, guys. That was a really succinct review of the film, Um, and thank you for handing over to me now so I can talk about my experiences. So, um, first off... The cinema hot dog that I had was lukewarm at best, and they didn't have any mustard. Now, ketchup is fine, but without something a bit more zingy, I just don't see the point, and then a whole cinema hot dog experience is ruined. The screen that we saw it in was okay. Um, It wasn't uh, one of the more plusher cinemas that we've been going to recently. Um, uh, What I'm saying is that Gareth took me out on a bad date. The seat was okay, but not luxurious Um, and to be honest some of the material was fraying uh, where my right hand was placed. On top of all of this there were some young gentlemen sat behind us and they were having uh, a little talk throughout the film. Sometimes they would talk about their day-to-day lives and sometimes they would ask questions such as who's that? Is that Iron Man? I've seen him in other films but I can't remember but I know it was good. Um, These conversations went on uh, for a little bit uh, until uh, Gareth turned around and gave them the sternest look I think I've ever seen him give a young person. Um, I was terrified and also a little bit turned on. Pardon? What? Oh, you you want me to do a serious review of the film? You want me to talk about the film? You want me to take it seriously? All right. All right, Dad. All right. Okay. All right. Yeah, let's do it now. No, no, no. No, 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 no. No, you're right. You're right. Just calm down. We didn't go and see the IMAX version of Oppenheimer because Gareth is very cheap. But I would strongly urge anyone going to view Oppenheimer to do it at an IMAX screen. The film is deliberately filmed in that big 70mm print version. And it needs to be experienced in that fashion. And with, the, as Gareth said, the best sound system possible. This is a big bombastic film at times and even when it is a quiet subdued experience the sound is fantastic and the visuals are amazing and they need to be seen on the biggest screen possible a lot of films that have IMAX have IMAX elements and they're kind of treated for the big set pieces for example in the latest Mission Impossible film when Tom Cruise's character would do a big stunt jump off a cliff on a motorbike for example we would change the aspect ratio and the viewing parameters to the IMAX experience. And that's when those scenes can shine. Oppenheimer is filmed nearly completely in the IMAX aspect ratio and screen proportions. Even the most intimate scenes and close-ups of Killian Murphy's Oppenheimer are filmed on this huge camera. Do go and check out how big an IMAX camera is. So you can appreciate how difficult it is to get it into tight corners to be able to film certain angles. And give a moment for the poor camera operator who has got an IMAX camera which is the size of a mini fridge on their shoulder. 
Oppenheimer is a long film. In fact, the 70mm celluloid print, if unwound from end to end, would actually measure 11 miles. Huh. It is the story almost of a man's entire life and career. And it spans just over three hours, about three hours and three minutes, something similar. Now, throughout that time, I never felt like the film was dragging. I never felt like I was taken out of that immersive experience. And that's because of the apt hand of Christopher Nolan. He's a fantastic filmmaker. I didn't even feel myself wiggling in my seat, my cheap, cheap seat that I was in, Gareth. And although as I get older, my bladder seems to have become less reliable, I never felt the need to leave the cinema to take myself in hand. The actors and acting in Oppenheimer are sublime. You really do start to see the character and not the actor. We live in an age of superstars. And we point at the screen and say, oh, that's Killian Murphy and that's Robert Downey Jr. But in this film, they do melt away into these characters. Killian Murphy's voice portraying Oppenheimer, he has clearly studied the real person and has really tapped into the mannerisms and vocal characteristics of J. Robert Oppenheimer. Another performance that stands out is that of Florence Pugh. She plays this love interest slash mistress of Oppenheimer, and she is genuinely fantastic. Now, you may be expecting me to make a joke right now, because Pugh's character is seen on screen, naked, in a number of scenes. This is almost full frontal nudity. I would describe it as tasteful as it is gratuitous. Pugh is a beautiful woman, and the filming of her naked body is done tastefully, but we kind of linger on these shots sometimes, and you almost get a feel of unease, particularly when naked Pew is sat across from naked Murphy, having a conversation about their relationship. There's nothing sexual in this scene. Obviously, something has happened prior, and the topic of the conversation is usually around the mental health of Florence Pugh's character. As you would expect from Christopher Nolan, the film looks absolutely beautiful. The cinematography of Heute van Heutemer is subtle and understated and yet deliberate. It's got a very naturalistic feel to it. Things feel real and the camera doesn't really move in an overly dynamic way. It's more as though we're looking at portraiture of these characters. This is in no way a criticism. The film is beautiful throughout and has a perfect consistency throughout this long runtime. Although they are briefly explored at the beginning of the film, some of my favourite sequences were where we were seeing the mind at work of Oppenheimer as he kind of peered through the veil of the universe and could see how it was working, how it was ticking. This is represented through subtle, stylish graphical overlays. Things like the rippling of water, or what could be described as looking at the resonance of the universe. In fact, although not meant to be the main thrust of the film, I believe that I enjoyed watching the young Oppenheimer as he struggled where he felt like he fit in the scientific community, and as he was becoming comfortable in his own skin. I really enjoyed Oppenheimer, and I enjoyed the portrayal of this character. He's not necessarily a hero, sometimes he's even seen as being 
as quite the broken man, needing help from friends, family and his loved ones to get through. In summary of my enjoyment of the film, Oppenheimer is close to being a masterstroke from Nolan. But as Gareth mentioned in the earlier portion of the review, I don't know if it's a film that I need to see again. I watched it, I saw it at the cinema, where it was designed to be seen. I do not know if I need to revisit it. This is not an indictment of the film at all, and I urge anyone with an interest in the subject matter or of Nolan's filmography to go and see Oppenheimer. It's excellent. Catch it while you can. As a parting shot, I would like to just talk about some of the controversy that's come from this film, particularly in its marketing and in its crediting of those that made the film or aided in making the film. It has come to light after the release of the film and during some of the press for the movie that Christopher Nolan has gone on to say that the film contains absolutely no CGI, no computer-generated imagery, and that is mainly the truth. The film doesn't contain shots that were made solely in a computer, but it does contain hundreds of shots, invisible effects, that are generated by VFX artists in what we would call a composition of real filmic elements laid together to make a more desirable image. And that is the work done by artists. Now, as the credits roll on Oppenheimer, there is a block of text that gives you the names of the VFX artists. And we see about 26 or 27 names of these artists. But what we do see is that they are mainly all VFX supervisors. Now, these supervisors would have 10, 20 or more people under them, all working hard on the film. It turns out that over 125 names are omitted from that credit block. Why is that? Is it some way of keeping up the pretense that the film is more practical and doesn't rely on visual effects and manipulated imagery? It's hard to say. This is still something that is a talking point and hasn't really been resolved yet. Was this something that Nolan did by himself? Doubtful. Was this something that the production companies and the distribution company have done? Either way, it's just not cricket to take all of these people's names off of the film. They are all artists that had a hand in creating what is a beautiful, beautiful film. I don't believe that this is all the work of Christopher Nolan. Not at all. But I do think that he needs to come back and say out loud that something went wrong in that crediting. To leave 80% of the VFX crew off of the credits, off of a big film that I'm sure that they are very, very proud to have worked on. It's not on, Christopher. And if I find you, I may slap you across the face and pull you by the scarf. So that's been our review of Oppenheimer. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, if you did enjoy it, please like, share and subscribe. Oh, I feel so dirty when he asks you to do that. And if you didn't enjoy it, please keep that to yourself. Just don't tell anyone. We're trying to do something here. It's, it's new. We're new to it. Yeah, why are you being like that? Give us a little bit of time. Hopefully we'll get better. All right. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Take care. 